Well, thank you again, and it's a pleasure to be able to open uh, God's Word with you this morning. Thank you for being here. Kristen Marcinick, so good to have you, one of our missionaries uh, with SCORE up in Alabama. So good to have the whole, almost the whole crew. You, you left Sam up there, but we got the better parts. Anyway, thanks to you and the, the kids for being here. Um, it's, uh, it's an honor, again, just to be able to gather with you. I mean, July 4th, thank you guys again for making July 4th what it was at the house. In a way, it's kind of cool that it rained and it forced us all under one roof. And I've learned you guys can cook. And uh, man, the pictures of the food, the food was unreal. Um, Hey, just speaking of a couple of housekeeping things, if you don't mind, you know we have a meal train going for a couple of families. One family is okay. We pulled them off the meal train on the email, the church email. Uh, we indicated we have a, a family who, uh, Janet Parsons, she broke her hip. Uh, she's young, in her 30s, uh, works as a nurse uh, down, I think it's St. Saint, Saint Joe's. And uh, her husband's an FBI agent. They've been coming here a while. They're just sweet, younger couples. So when you think about going to somebody who broke their hip, you People are not, they're picturing an older couple when they get there, and they get there, and it's a younger couple. But we need some meals. And so I just happened to notice on that, uh, that meal train, we have some, a lot of open days coming up. So if you don't mind, just, it's one of those scary things where you just kind of assume everybody knows what's going on. And uh, that would be also, if you're visiting here, um, you may sit next to somebody. Because we are a newer group gathering together, you may think the person next to you should know you. And a lot of times that doesn't happen. So um, we just hope... Uh, you know you're welcome here. And if you could fill out a visitor form and drop that in a box, and we'd just love to, uh, if you can remember to do that, because we don't have an aggressive welcome team for that reason, but if we don't start seeing progression on visitor forms, we're going to start pounding you at the door. So if you could, remember to just drop that in there, and we'll just make sure we put you on our email list, let you know what activities and, and that are kind of rolling around. Thank you again for those who served at Liberty Manor yesterday, our veterans home that we go out and serve at. Thank you again, Jeff and Susan Kerr, for heading that up. That was just always a blessing. So, well, I tell you what, we're about to jump into the continuation. If you're new here, brand new, uh, what we do is we take a book of the Bible and we walk through it from beginning to end. So um, th- we, uh, we studied Nehemiah at the beginning of the year. Now we're in John. We're going through John chapter 8. We're going to finish 8 today. A lot of verses. This, is, um, this makes it a little easier on a preacher because when you have so many verses, how do you go wrong, right? But we're going to walk through these verses, but we're going to stop, explain a few things, and see where God can bring some some really neat nuggets out for us to take away from, from this scripture. So uh, go ahead and open up your Bible or turn your Bible on at John chapter 8. We're going to go to verse 21. And then Shale will be hitting uh, chapter 9 next week. Right? And, uh, and so if you would, let me, let me just pray. I get my mind straight and we'll get, we'll, get, uh, we'll get set for this. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, I, uh, I pray that I'm not a distraction and Lord, I pray that we just are able to remove any distractions in our mind, that we just focus on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Part of that distraction, not to make your mind go to it, but we're working fervently, especially on this side of the room, about the temperature. So if you don't, if, I don't want you to think we're blind to the fact it's a little warm over there. And, uh, and so we're working on that as best we can with the owner of the building. Yeah, but we're not trying to make you so hot that we just we want to get out of here so bad to get the building campaign. It's not a, it's not a tactic, although it would be a good one. Um, it's not that. Well, let's see. We're at verse 21. And timeline here, Jesus has been ministering for three years. We are six months to the cross at this point. This is six months away from the cross. There is about to be uh, an interaction 
that we're going to see get a little deeper. If we see before t- uh, verse 21, Jesus is speaking in a temple during one of, the, one of the pilgrimage holidays. And so as he's speaking, there's a large group of people there. There are people there who are interested in what he's speaking and what he's saying. This would be a common area of the temple. There was a big box for giving. Which are where people would give for benevolence and things like that. This is where a lot of the poorer people would go. Well, so it's not just poor people gathered around. The, this is a gathering of people that are, um, there's intellectuals in this bunch, but there are some Jewish leaders. And so these Jewish leaders pop up in this area around the other Jewish believers. And any time in which you see, again, when John writes the Jews, he's talking about the antagonistic Jew. Remember, John was a Jew. So as he's writing this, it's the antagonistic group going after Jesus. Six months to the cross. There they are, gathered around. Jesus is in the middle of a discussion. We pick up in verse 21. Here it is. And he said to them again, Jesus says this, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 22, so the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where am I going? You cannot come. So let's stop right here for a second and see this interaction. Jesus is saying to them, where I'm going, you can't go. He would later say this disciples, the disciples don't necessarily understand what's happening. They're looking at him thinking, what are you saying? Why are you saying these things? Where are you going? In this particular case, the Pharisees react, or the religious leaders react, and they said, where are you going that we can't go? Listen to the self-righteous attitude threaded through all the scripture. These religious leaders are saying, the only place we can't go is hell. And they jokingly mock them and say, are you going to take your life that you're going to go to the... Because at that time, Jewish tradition and superstition would have believed that you were in the lowest pocket of Hades if you had taken your life. We know that to not be true if you are a believer in Christ and to know that there's what, what God has given, no man, not even the person doing that act, can separate. But in this particular case, they said, are you, is he trying to kill himself that he's going to go to a place that we can't go? So not only are they mocking Jesus, but they're talking about their own self-righteousness. But he said to them, no, you are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Stop right here. Think about this. He looks at him and says, no, 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 you're the ones that are from below. The very place you're saying you can't go, this is where you are from. He said, I am not, he says, I'm from above, you're of this world. 77 times in your New Testament does it, re- does it refer to the term the world. 77 times. I remember getting saved and a preacher used to say, do not love this world. I'm thinking, well, doesn't mean I can't pick up litter anymore. I mean, what does this mean? I like this place. It's pretty decent. It's not spherically speaking of the world. It's a systematic approach to the world. The system of the world is controlled and it has a Lord. And that Lord is not our Lord. That Lord is Satan. Satan is the Lord of the system, the prince of the air. And he maintains what, what you see going on here. There is a, there is a, it, is, it is a fallen world. We are not to be in love with this world. And again, I'm not talking about you know, Yellowstone and Yosemite. I'm talking about the system of the world. And, it, and so Jesus says, no, no, I, I'm from above. You're of this world. I'm not from this world. Verse 24, these three words are very powerful. Total change in discussion here. He said, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am... I am he, you will die in your sins. I told you. 
By the way, this is not a seeking crowd who's interested to want to know, man, I wonder who this Jesus is. I wonder what kind of display his miracles. I wonder what kind of great teaching. Everyone in Israel, I think it would be safe to say, knows who Jesus is at the three-year mark. And so at this point, it's not, oh, behold, it's no, I told you so. And then, by the way, if you're reading, I don't know if any of you, in the middle of this verse, would you see where it says, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. I actually caught myself, one of those few times I caught myself uh, correctly, he is probably italicized in some of your versions, your translations. He was not originally in this text. The, the word he was put in there by a transcriber, by a translator, put that in, who didn't fully grasp at that moment, this was an I am statement. So it's a remarkable statement. Don't lose that. In fact, when he says, I told you that you would die in your sins, but unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Verse 25. So they said to him, well, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. Again, he's keeping this theme going. I've been telling you these things. You should know these things. And this, so this is a dialogue of not Jesus introducing himself. He's reminding him. He's telling him, this is who I am. This is what's going on. Verse 26. I have so much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Verse 27, they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. And so, at this point, there's, they're a little confused. Jesus is talking about his Father. They're starting to angrily figure out he's talking about the God that they say they worship. And then Jesus is going to take this and put it right back on him. Jesus, remember, we see in scripture, Jesus knows the hearts of man. He knows what's in the thoughts of man. He is going to use their confusion about this father issue and throw it back. He's going to turn it around on them. And what he's doing, he's antagonizing them. And he's antagonizing them for a very important reason. To expose truth. This is not usually Jesus' tactic to go around antagonizing people. But at this point, he's saying, you have no excuse. You know, as well as I do, what, who I am and what I'm saying. And so, they're, 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 they're going to start backing up and they're going to get even more confused here. If any of you have been in law enforcement training in, in in a, the, I was the earlier service. It's like half law enforcement and, and fire ch- uh, chiefs and that in here. It's it's a remarkable group in the early service. And and someone were talking to me afterwards, and he said, "Yeah, this is you know de-escalation training they teach you in law enforcement. Early, you'd probably know a lot of this. Is recognizing there's elements of of a brawl. It starts out intellectually, not always, but it starts out intellectually. Goes very quickly to emotions. Goes into verbal exchange, and then comes to blows. You will see all of that exposed right here. Jesus knows this escalation is about to happen, and he's not de-escalating it. But one thing that's important is he's not minimizing telling the truth. So he's antagonizing them, but he's not making fun of them. There's a difference. He's antagonizing them to say, you keep throwing these insults on me, but I'm going to make you think a little bit. And so he's making these statements. You're going to see some very profound statements, but then he witnesses to them. So a lot, how many of you were in our evangelism training that we had uh, for the month of, um, we had like 55 of you or something like that go through at training. It was phenomenal. One thing I took away from it for that month was 
it was a, by the way, the, the instructor was his, his name's Rick Robinson. Came over from Idlewild and came over to help us out in an area of training. He used to be a Mormon missionary. He used to be a Mormon, and he said he used to knock on these doors, and he said he would engage with evangelical Christians who would just start spitting on them. I mean, yeah, you're you know you don't know this, you don't know this, and and I want to do a little self confession. I've got to tell you that I used to always love hearing my professor in seminary talk about, well, you know, when the Jehovah's Witness knocked on my door, and I'm thinking, man, I bet you fired the artillery, you fired the cannons, and let him know everything. He said he was most moved by one woman at a door who looked at him and said, we don't agree. And I'll tell you why we don't agree. And she listed the deity claims that they do not agree to. But she said, you know what? Jesus loves you. And he loves Mormons. And when he got up here and he said, Jesus loves Jehovah's Witnesses. And he loves Mormons. It's an indication here. Jesus loves Pharisees. Doesn't love where they're at. There's a difference. But can you imagine a mindset that, knocked, that when someone knocked a door, I'm not saying let them cross the threshold. I'm saying, can you imagine just engaging to let them know what love looks like? And here he, he's saved. We have family, you guys have family that adhere to Jehovah's Witnesses' practices. Some of you have friends. We're not going to win them on a debate. Jesus knows this debate's going to end, so he start, he's not going to get an exchange. Have you ever debated somebody that just loves the art of debate? It goes nowhere. This is antagonizing to get a response. Kenneth, don't look at your wife when I say that. It was, it was very so he said, um, he said, you're going to die in your sins, verse 25. He said, again, just what I've been telling you from the beginning, verse 26. I have much to say about you, much to judge. He who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Okay, stop right here. He has done nothing out of sync with his father. Isn't that remarkable? Everything he's done has been in sync with his father. Everything. Everything said out of his mouth has been in regard to his father. Verse 27. No surprise here. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said to them, when you've lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing out of my own authority. But speak just as my father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. When he talks about lifting up the Son of Man, whenever he talks to himself in that third person, there is some serious dialogue going on. And this is, we use the vernacular all the time. Man, we lift up God's name and we have lifted him up. We lift up the name of Jesus. But in this particular case, this was not about praise and adoration. This is lifting up a cross. He said, there will be a day when you lift up the Son of Man and you will know what you have dealt with. But this remarkable thought here, he has not left me. The beauty of the, of the Trinity is this, this massive complementary nature. We worship them in what they call, big word here, co-consubstantially, which means we worship them each individually. And, and, we, in, 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 uh, we, we worship them with the same respect in we, we, as, as all three in full power, all three in full control, all three uniquely identified and one. And you start to see the beauty of the Trinity. They complemented each other constantly. So God, Jesus is baptized. What does God say? There's my son. Who I mean, I am so pleased. What does Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? I'm going to leave you someone better than me. And so you see this magnificent nature. And the only time you see, if you ever do a study called um, 
experiencing God. And then the mind of Christ is another good one. They talk about what they call the abeyance of the Holy Spirit at the cross. I'm sorry, the abeyance of the Trinity. Where the Holy Spirit and God step back. Here's, here's Jesus being, being lifted up on a cross. At this moment when they've all intertwined. Again, remember Jesus is saying, man, this is the Holy Spirit. This is my Father. This is, and God saying, this is my Son. At that cross, God pulled back. The Holy Spirit refrained. The mag- I mean, can you imagine the magnificent power that refrained in the Son of Man on a cross? The judgment they've been talking about. That was it. And at that moment, when Jesus cries out in Hebrew translation, Daddy, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me here? Do you see the powerful th- progression of this? this is, and he's saying, this is, a, this is his son saying, he's never left me alone. You often wonder, what was it like for Jesus to, you know, to see thorns on a bush and to go, no, one day they're going to they're gonna hammer them into my head. What's it like when I see a nail being driven into something to know it's going to be driven into my, my ulna nerve and my wrist? What's going to happen one day when I, when I... The whole time God was with him. And yet God was with, was with us. Verse 30, what happens? As he was saying these things, many believed on him. Verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews, he turns to the Jews who believed him and he said this, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. By the way, if you've ever seen these words on a modern institution, they've been taken out of context. Anything text taken out of context becomes what they call pretext, which you can't take things out of context like this. You'll hear higher levels of academia say, and the truth will set you free. This is where they're getting from. And they're not talking about academia. Not talking about scholastic truth. They're talking about the only truth that exists that we know of, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, which is God's truth. And so, if you ever look at Harvard and Yale and Princeton, the higher levels of institutions of learning, Christianity at the beginning and the foundation of this country was founded on academia and intellectual societies. I mean, if you look at the, the, law, the law schools, this, te- this particular piece, which is in their motto, Oftentimes, it was interesting, they would throw it in Latin, which is, you know, thinking it was derived from Latin. It's not. They would put it in Latin, and the truth will set you free. Well, the reality is, they meant it to come out of this. Because there were Christian institutions when they were begotten. So a lot of it, we've drifted from that. I think you know, the Baptists come in the 1800s and start universities like Baylor and probably two or 300 universities around the country. But the higher level institutions of learning by the Methodists, the Free Will Methodists, the Presbyterians, Episcopalians. And so these high levels of institution knew what the truth meant. Now it's been watered down. I mean, it's been watered down so much that even the term, you know, you know praying for you. You know, on social media... You sit there and look, and so many times people, I've seen this evol- evolving or digressing uh, term, talk about like, uh, oh yeah, my daughter's going to the hospital, send positive thoughts or positive vibes. As I reach for my vomit bag, I mean, what does that mean? A positive, if I'm on a stretcher, don't be on positive vibes. I'll <laughs> Whatever I got left is coming to you, if you say that. I want prayer. And so we've seen the digression of prayer. We've seen the digression of what it means, worship, sacrifice, all those things, and truth. 
Well, along comes opportunities, and I want to introduce you to one today. I was going to introduce you uh, during the announcements to Caleb, but there's this one particular, when I got to this point, I thought a lot of Caleb when I thought of this. Caleb was going to be, uh, come on up, Caleb, if you could. Caleb's going to be serving as our intern for July and uh, here, and I just wanted him to share his story uh, uh, with you about what God's done in his own life, so you get to see a trophy of what I'm talking about. (laughs) I'm thankful to be here with y'all this morning. Many of y'all know my brother Cameron. He's a taller, better looking guy. Um, (laughs) We did not grow up in a church family, so we didn't go to church growing up. And so we didn't know the truth. Our father walked out on us at a young age. And so we, at least myself, I was kind of angry with God for the longest time. And it wasn't until he started going to USF, got connected with the, the tree at Idlewild, the college ministry, got connected with Jake, and just started hanging out with some really awesome guys that were pouring into his life, that he uh, got saved. And he felt the need to be obedient with his faith, because that's what we should do when we receive God's grace, is we should tell other people. And so he decided that he needed to tell me. And so he would sit me down in the room every time we met up and he'd say this is what God did in my life this is how he saved me and he'd just read scripture with me and said this is the truth this is the real deal and so as I began to listen to him and I was living my life and it's going to talk about um, slaves to sin a couple verses later when Jake pastor Jake gets to it I was a slave to sin I I was living in darkness I was living for myself for 20 years of my life and that's all I knew how to do And so once I heard the truth, once I heard that the truth could set me free from that sin and uh, set me free to live for God, I decided that I wanted to follow God, whatever he had for me. And he completely just saved me from all those things, took those passions out of my life, those desires out of my life, and gave me a desire for himself. And so I started uh, working as a firefighter and was ministering, sharing with the firefighters there. And this past summer, uh, God just really put missions on my heart because I believe that's what his heart is. It's for missions. He's, he's always going to the lost people, to the unreached people, and sharing himself with them. And so he put that on my heart. And I wasn't sure where I was going to go with that, but I was looking at different mission organizations, and I found one called New Tribe Missions. And so I got in contact with the representative, <laughs> Marcus, here this morning. And he's one of the representatives, so we were meeting up. I was asking a bunch of questions and decided that uh, I wanted to to go that route. And they primarily work in unreached people groups throughout the world. And so I signed up. I sold all my stuff, and Earl and I drove up to Wisconsin. I enrolled at the training facility there, and I will be at the Bible Institute for two years and then going on for two years to the missionary training camp. So another three and a half years, and then after that, I will be able to go into different parts of the world that don't have access to the gospel and share with them the greatest news. In thank you. Yeah, but yeah. So God has been so good. I I was at uh, the Bible Institute and I was about to come home for the summer. I head back in the beginning of August, and so Jake and I were talking, and most of my friends are here, and I we were just talking and I was asking him about an internship this summer and so I will be the intern for the month of July and then I have to head back to the Bible Institute so while I'm here uh, please 
grab hold of me. I'd love to. What, what did you say? Meet up for dinner? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. I, I said I wanted to get to know y'all in the service before, but yeah, I would love to get to know. I know time is limited, so please just get in contact with me. I'd love to hear y'all's story and hear uh, what God's doing in, in y'all's life and here at the church. So Thank you very much. Thank you, Caleb. Thank you. You know, what's awesome is, uh, I can't help but think, when I met you, you know, I, Cameron, he was serving as an intern for me at the time, right? And uh, and it hit me, he just kept saying, I just got to reach my brother, got to reach my brother. And, and I mean, we, the first time we sat down, I think you got a couple audible grunts, you know what I mean? That was about it. I was like, yeah, 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 you're a CrossFit trainer and had no time for, you know. And to sit there and think what God has done to you. Uh, you, you up here talking with ease. I mean, I mean, let, let's face it. You just probably just sit there and let them preach, right? I mean, and thinking that's what God does when He sets you free. Amen. He introduces you to yourself. You know, when Simon, when Jesus says, "Who, who am I? Who do you say that I am?" Simon says, "You're, you're Jesus. You're the Son of God." He goes, "Yeah," and your name's Peter. Not when we recognize God. He helps us recognize ourself. It's when you take somebody who's on a path and saying, this is where I'm supposed to go based on my talents, my skills, and my desires, and my training. And you take someone who, by the way, was beloved in his fire department. No doubt in our minds you would have moved up in a 20-year plan to be a chief. There's no doubt. I mean, you're just that kind of guy. Lovable, likable, team player. And then to say, God has done something in my life. I remember we had, uh, you know, Kristen, you know uh, Kyle Anson, who, Jesse, you brought to church. I'll never forget talking to Kyle Anson one time, played uh, New York Yankees baseball with you. And he said, um, he walked in, <laughs> he would go to the tree where I was a college-age ministry, say, let's get something straight, preacher, I'm here for the girls. <laughs> he says, I, this Jesus thing doesn't, it doesn't I, I can't get into it. And yet he faithfully came because of the girls. And then I saw two years later, he walks into the coach's office at the New York Yankees, and he says, I'm hanging out my cleats. And he'd already been playing on a 40-man squad. He'd, you know, he'd, been playing, he'd, he'd been playing with all the big guys. And they said, what are you talking about? He says, God has called me in a different desire. And now Kyle is a pastor. You cannot say... God does not have truth for our lives. The Chip said it so well. We were at a deacon's meeting the other night. And we said, Chip, go ahead and pray. And he started praying and he said, thank you for this crazy thing you're calling our church. Who would have thought it? You know, Shale and I haven't reached out in the public area or an arena to say we're preaching somewhere. I mean, we, you know, the people kind of know, I think, oh, we're at Creekside or something. And we just haven't gone out and ventured out. And I'll tell you why. People often say, why don't you say something? Where are you preaching? It's because if you'd have asked me a year ago or six months ago, I would have imagined, well, I know a lot of unchurched people. I know people that are not going anywhere. They need to be coming here. But what I thought meant nothing. The reality is who God sent here were people that ministered to us. And God sent a group of people that I would have never thought I'd be worshiping with. God still does crazy things. Because he's the God of truth. Verse 33. They answered him. 
when they heard this. We are the, watch the self-righteous tone. We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we or you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly. Get that now, watch this. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So stop right here. This is a caged animal who never knows the freedom of the prairie. This is a prisoner who holds on to the fact that they think they're free. This is a homeless person who says, I need nothing. This is a group of people saying, we're not enslaved. You say we're enslaved? I mean, the arrogance, if you walked out into the street, right outside that temple, grabbed your average Jew walking by and said, are you free? No, I'm not free. I'm under Roman enslavement. And yet they're sitting there not even seeing this. Keep in mind that people wanted to make Jesus king because they wanted to go away from the yoke of Roman law. So they're, they're popping off with this attitude. I mean, you get around homeless people. You know, Cameron and I were in Seattle going to see Rick and Kimber who go here in Alaska. We thought, oh, we'll go to Seattle. If you want to experience homelessness, man, you just go home, Google it tonight, today or tonight and look at the homeless problem in Seattle. I'm telling you, after 11 o'clock at night, the place is like a zombie movie. People just, just off the mental illness, uh, drugs. It, this place is wrecked with homelessness. To a degree, I, I mean, I had a cousin say... A, a month ago, oh, I went to you know Seattle, homeless people everywhere. I'm thinking a guy's a goober. He's never been to a big city and probably saw a homeless person and thought it was a problem. This was beyond anything I'd ever seen. And yet, if you, I talked to a cop. I'm like, man, how bad's it been? He goes, well, what happens when you put 27 feeding stations? You go by and you give them everything they need. He says, we've indoctrinated a culture of you don't need to better yourselves. And so now, they don't want anything better. This is what the religiosity of the day are doing to the people. They're going around and giving them just enough to keep them at bay. And Jesus is breaking through and he's saying, this religion is no good. I am here to set you free. And then, you know, Shale and I have this thing where after the 9 o'clock service, if he speaks, I'll go and I'm like, hey, whatever. And after 9 o'clock, if I speak, he's like, you're a disaster. Why don't you change this and change that? And so he said to me, he goes... He goes, okay, it's fine, but notice how many times truth pops up in here. Truth, 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 truth. Jesus is antagonizing them for a reason, not for debating purposes, but for a reason to get them somewhere. Verse 37, or verse 36, it says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He's witnessing to them. Verse 37, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father and you do what you've heard from your father. All right, stop right here. Keep in mind, they've thrown out that father thing. Oh, you're, 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 yeah, we know you were born out of uh, illegitimacy. You don't talk about your father. So Jesus now responds talking about their father. Catch this. He's just said, they, the Jews have said, we're the offspring of Abraham. Jesus says, you're right when you say the offspring of Abraham. And now I'm going to tell you about your father. And they're thinking, now oh, he finally gets it. He's going to talk about Abraham. What does he say? Look at the next verse, 39. They answered him, 
Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Now stop right here. You think, you would think Jesus is going to react when they've just implied that he was born out of wedlock. With a, they, Joseph was the stepdad, don't know who the dad is. You would think Jesus would react. Watch how he reacts. Jesus said to him, if God were your father, you'd love me. For I came from God and I'm here. And I came not on my own accord, but he who sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Stop right here. What a thought. You've just insulted Jesus to a degree of a massive insult. And he doesn't react. Different than Matthew. In the middle of Matthew, what happens when they say, uh, Jesus is going around healing. They say, man, this guy heals in the name of Beezable. This guy is, uh, he, he heals in that, in the spirit in which he heals, he does it this way. Jesus hears this. He looks at the Pharisee. This poor guy, I can't, I mean, I'm being serious when I say this. So this poor man to have been addressed by Jesus. Jesus turns to him and he says, you can call the son of man anything you want. But the very fact that you just called the Holy Spirit what you did, you're going to hell and there's nothing you can do about it. Condemn the man to hell right there. You want to talk about the protectorate nature of the Trinity. And yet Jesus knows they're trying to kill him. And they insult him. What does he do? He pushes it back. He's like, it's okay. But I want to tell you about your father. And they're, they're, they're thinking still Abraham. And then verse 44, he drops the bomb. He says, you are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. It does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he's a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth. Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not from God. This exchange has just escalated. But notice Jesus is witnessing. Why do you not? Which one of you wants to convict me now? He says, why don't you hear me? Why don't you understand me? He says, your father is the devil. Imagine if you went back in time. And you go to back to 1920. You were to walk into the streets of New York. You were to gather people together and you start talking to them. Joking with them, laughing with them, telling them stories. In the back of your mind, you would know everyone you are talking to in that adult group is dead. They're gone. Jesus, remember the I am, the beginning and the end, is talking to people that he knew were dead. He knew they were gone. And he's telling them and taking time to tell them the truth. And what is interesting, he's saying, the father that you're listening to is your murderer. I'm introducing you to the fact that my plan when I was with my father and we were designing the nature of this world was for you to never die. This father that you're following is your 
killer. And you're listening to him. His native language is deception. His native language are lies. The Jews answered him in verse 48. About 48, I mean. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Okay, now think right here. Why did they bring Samaritans into this? A demon? Remember, what happens? Intellectual, emotional, verbal assault. They are now, they throw out, are you a demon? And the poor Samaritans got thrown under the bus. The Samaritans were viewed as half-assimilated half-breeds to the Jews. They were looked down upon. And so they call him a Samaritan and then say, do you have a demon? Jesus doesn't take this as a joke. He doesn't take it lightly. And he also doesn't get angry about it. Why? Because he knew the power of what demons do. And he says this, verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Stop right here. The discussion now has gone from you're a demon to you're a Samaritan. And you're throwing out. It, it, you got to keep in mind, there is a crowd present. What do you do when you feel like you're losing the argument? You lower your intellectual bar. And these Jewish leaders are throwing these insults out in order to get laughter, to turn the tide of the group. And Jesus says, I don't have a demon. I mean, I wish. Can you imagine Jesus being able to to say, I I just, you know, I wonder what he thought. You have no idea what a demon even looks like. I've seen them. I've called them out by legion status out of a man's body. I've seen what they look like. You know, we, we live in an American culture where we are very guarded from things like this. I mean, you go overseas and start getting exposed to God versus evil, and you see evil manifest itself in ways that are crazy. And I say these things, you, can probably, you, you have every right to think I'm a lunatic, but I have seen several times, I don't care if it's in China, I don't care if it's Romania, I don't care if it's in Africa... I have seen demonic presence in a place that is like, you look and you go, you know. I'm sure what, Charlotte, what you've seen, you know, in a mission field in South Africa, to, you know what demonic things look like. i never forget, uh, we were at a, doing a medical clinic in South Sudan. I mean, this situation turned south so quick. We got there. It was in Darfur area. You know where that is? Like it's a real war-torn area. This place was a wreck. Oh, we got there. The army's got this guy. They're trying him. They're, they're, gonna, they're thinking about it. I'm like, what's going on? Well, they might shoot him. I'm like, yeah, you know, what? And, they're, and they, instead, they gave him beating. They're lashing him, you know. And, and, and so I'm watching the guy get lashed. And, and we're doing a medical clinic. And everybody's saying, we've got to get out of here very quickly. Let's do the medical clinic. There are about eight or 900 people waiting. Let's move. Let's keep moving. And then we had this real sweet girl on our, on our, tr- on our team that she would just tell 
creation to the cross very quickly story and we're like sister tell it quickly you know we've got to move i mean there's like i mean the more and more guns are popping around and it was thick it was just i don't know it was just something i mean it was very thick and of course the pillars of the group they're acting like you know you know what godly people do just doing godly things they're oblivious to everything me, I'm the minister who's a nervous wreck, thinking everything's going to fall apart, you know. And right as we're going through, giving the gospel, this, this, uh, this guy comes up, painted, painted up, pale white, carrying like this luggage, and starts bopping around, acting silly. And all the group that was listening to the, to the message turned and watched this guy. He was a local witch doctor. And he comes out there, and he's making these noises. Man, these noises are crazy. And he's making these noises. And, every, and he's imitating Americans. Oh, I've got our luggage. I'm the white guy coming in, and he, he's making these noises. And Al Melton, my buddy, who's got the sweetest voice ever, right? Al couldn't raise his voice if he stepped on a nail. You know, Al just walks over. He walks over the guy. And what I saw happen right in front of me, the guy is screaming, veins popping out of his neck, and the guy, and, and Al says, in the name of Jesus, go home. I'm like, I'm thinking, you know, a rifle butt to the guy's forehead, maybe, that might help. Like, go, go get one of the soldiers over here. He says, in the name of Jesus, go home. And he says it again, in the name of Jesus, I command you to go home. And the guy literally, shoulders, he went from screaming, veins popping out, his shoulders just dropped, (sighs) took a breath, and like bloodshot eyes, everything, I'm telling you, just looked confused and walked home. Right in the middle of the tirade. And if you ever want coffee and hang out and hear crazy stories, I've got a few more like that that I saw. And so when these guys are like, oh, you're a demon. Demons to the Jewish leaders was mental illness. To Jesus, it was real. You got to wonder when he's saying, you have no idea what a demon is. Do you remember when the Satan was tempting Jesus, walking in and they're going, they're not going to get it. The, he, with all his demonic power, didn't try to unseat Jesus. He tried to reason with him because I've been in this world. I know these people. They're not sharp. They won't understand. If you get in their mind, you can't get in their heart. They won't understand salvation. They won't get it. He, that prince of the air, those demons, Jesus says, nah, I'm not a demon. He says, and he goes back and he says, you call me a demon, but I'm going to forget it. I'm just telling you, if you just follow your father's will. Yeah, oh, sorry. <laughs> Right when I was there, there you go. Preach it, dog. <laughs> hey, so by the way, that's Jen and her husband. Her husband Ben is a he's a deputy. They, uh, if you ever see a dog uh, that they're raising, and reason we don't pet him and that, they're training him for uh, wounded warriors. And so their last dog is in Alaska with a wounded vet. And so this one's now being trained. So anyway, they can bark all it's want for our heroes, right? So anyway, verse forty-eight. Um, I thought we were getting charismatic here for a minute, man. I was like, <laughs> here we go. Tamarine's next. Here we go. Verse 48. The, the Jews answered him. Oh, no. I already covered that one. Where did I stop? <laughs> 54. Thank you. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. 
By the way, did you catch it? He says, you always say he is our God, but it's my Father who's glorifying me. But you've not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him. I keep his word. Oh, here is a dig. You can't not take it any other way. This is, I, I'm confident in my editorial. Watch this. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. He said, you know, so first of all, let me break this down. Abraham had a messianic vision that Jesus would be in this day. He just, he was told, you will be the seed and this will, this is where it'll go. This is what's going to happen. And so, uh, you know, there come Isaac and Jacob. And so he, he was able to see this messianic line and there's Jesus. So basically, here's what, don't miss this part. Jesus is saying, oh, Abraham saw it. Oh, and he was glad, by the way. Because I saw him happy. He's making this statement, I was there when Abraham was ecstatic. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, Abraham saw it, and he was glad. Verse 57, so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham. We know according to the early part of Luke, we know Jesus' age at this point. He started his ministry at 33. We know he's around 30, 30, around 33 years old right here. And yet they're saying, you're not 50. Some theologians look at that and think, man, he, you know, he must have looked very aged because of everything he'd been through. I mean, you've got to remember, he felt the pain identifying with us. You look at a president when they go in office, and when they get out of office, and you're like, what happened? You know, look at, seriously, you don't, we don't know. By that term, we don't know. You're not even 50 and so they're just, who could imagine what Jesus would look like? And yet you've seen Abraham. Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The remarkable thing about this scenario is Jesus never forgot the, the purpose was to tell them the truth. He never, he never stopped. So whenever anybody says, I tell you what, I like the religion, you just can't say that Jesus is the only way. What's remarkable about this, did you, I don't know if you, did you catch this thread? Believers don't even say, what, not only say that Jesus said he was the king. How about this? His enemies also claim that Jesus said he was God. Even his enemies would say that, that you cannot say that Jesus would say these things and recognize that he's Lord or recognize that he's what, what Josh McDowell says is a lunatic. Everybody knows. The believers and the unbelievers knew what came out of Jesus' mouth. So uh, you, you, get your, you get your weekly history lesson. Here it comes. I, 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 I was uh, reading... A story in 1945, beginning of the or end of the beginning of the end of the war, World War II in Germany. B-17 bomber, nine personnel on it, flying over uh, the Ruhr Valley and in Industrial Valley, Germany, and it took a shell to the fuselage of the plane. It was an 88, a German 88. Those of you who know World War II weapons know the Germans wrecked havoc on our planes with this 88 round. It was just, uh, they fired very rapidly and would pierce. And it, 
the belly gunner called to the to the pilot in a scream of panic and said there's a 88 lodged in our fuselage the pilot immediately abandoned uh, ordered abandonment of the aircraft the side gunners the top gunner the tail gunner the belly gunner all parachuted out once they got over into friendly territory the, the u.s rescued territory and reclaimed territory in france as they're parachuting out ordered the co-pilot out and the co-pilot said i'm going with you he said, if you jump, I'll jump. He says, I'm not giving up this plane. And so they would take out a flare gun and they would stick it in the top of the cockpit and they would fire a flare of several colors indicating what the emergency was. If they were wounded on board, if they were malfunctioning landing gear. In this case, that the, the threat that the plane could blow up on landing. They cleared the runway. The B-17 comes in with the pilot and a co-pilot in England and it lands and the plane didn't blow up. And so... The pilot had requested when they found out that the 88 was not a live round. It was a dud. You know, back in, nowadays, those of you in the military would know, that a, a demolitions expert would take that round and they would take it and put it in a containment area and they'd blow it up. Well, back then, I'm sure they sent out a couple of privates and said, go, you know, <laughs> go out there and do your thing. And so they dislodged this round. And the captain made a well, logical request. He says, I want to take that round home as a souvenir. They said, well, we're going to have to take the casing where the, you know, where the, or the powder would have been. We're going to have to d- make sure it's demilled. They took it out, and instead of gunpowder and explosive uh, chemical com- you know, properties coming out, sawdust came out. And inside the round was a note, and it was translated. The note, uh, as they would discover in 1947 and 48, when they did some research, the note after, uh, when, when they read it, was written by a political prisoner who's working in a munitions factory. Near the end of the war, they were throwing out as much ammunition as they could. The prisoner, when no one looking, had jammed sawdust instead of black powder and put a note in there. It said, I've done all I can with what I have. Jesus is saying throughout this entire thread of chapter 8, I am telling you that I'm giving you all I have to save your life. And you will not listen. He still gives us that truth to this day. If you're someone who's never believed in Christ, that truth is right before you. I am confident in this year of 2018, you are without excuse to receive Christ as your Savior. For why, in Jesus' words, I have told you so. If for some of you, you're saying that next step, maybe the next step in just to to be a part of something um, in, in obedience of baptism, maybe that's it. Because I want to show you new desires. And then how about for believers to think this? What if? What if we were truly to worship God as the God who gave everything he had with what he had? What to bring? For one reason. To set you and I free. I can guarantee you there are those of us in Christians in here that are still enslaved. Not only to sin, but we are enslaved from seeing the greatness God has designed for us. May we see that as a church. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us the direction that you have as a church. And Father, give us a direction, please, we pray, as an individual. Lord, there's no doubt you've come to set us free. And yet, Lord, we lay down many obstacles in front of you. 
Father, there's a time when we come together like this when all things seem clear. Then we get out and, uh, in the, into the mundane life in the parking lot. And all of a sudden, our fears set in and discouragement sets in. God, let us know that your word is there, that we can go to your word at any time. And in your scripture, Father, are the answers to life. In your scripture are the answers to everything we know. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for the gathering that we have. But Lord, thank you for the communion that we have in you as believers. We pray these things in Jesus' name. 